Lent is the period of time between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday. It's a spiritual journey where we are invited to consider deeply our own temptations. Join with me as we discuss what type of journey is Lent. Hi, Paul Shepard here, and welcome to the channel. You know, some people think that having faith means believing a bunch of things that you know are impossible. But here at Rational Christianity, we take a rational approach to understanding the Christian faith. We combine history, science, the Bible, common sense, and an understanding of human nature to make Christianity make sense. Everyone is welcome here. How many of us like alarm clocks? How many of us use alarm clocks? How many of us will really need an alarm clock next Sunday morning because our clocks will move forward? Alarm clocks are very useful, and not only because they wake us up. Alarm clocks are also useful because alarm clocks make us realize that, in our society, there are four kinds of people. And you can tell what kind of person you are by the way you react to your alarm clock. First, we have sleepers. These are people who sleep regardless of how many alarm clocks they have or how loud they are. These are people who will sleep through anything and everything. Sleepers buy the loudest alarm clock they can find, but in practice the clock wakes up everyone else in the house or their dormitory while they themselves sleep on peacefully. Then we have snoozers. These are the people who just love the snooze button on their clocks. Snoozers seem a bit conflicted, really. I mean, obviously they want to get up, or they would not set an alarm at all. But when the alarm goes off, it's always later, later, later. Next, we have the people we could perhaps call fallers. These are people who wake up when the alarm goes off. Perhaps they even sit up in bed. But they are very disoriented. They can't quite figure out where they are. They certainly cannot remember why they set the alarm in the first place. So they turn off their alarm clock, fall back into bed, and go back to sleep. The fourth group we can call wakers. These are the people who hear the alarm, wake up, get up, and get on with their lives. So according to this alarm clock theory, there are four types of people, and we can apply these same four categories to Lent. But first, just a little bit of background. Lent is a period of 46 days during which we are invited to reflect. This covers a time from Ash Wednesday to Easter Sunday. During 2022, that means from March 2nd to April 17th. Are you surprised to hear that it's 46 days? Jesus was only in the wilderness for 40 days. Did Jesus get time off for good behavior or something? Don't we always say that Lent lasts for 40 days? Well, the church is full of mystery, and one mystery is why church math is different than normal math. Because yes, Lent lasts for 40 days, but those 40 days take 46 days. Well, that's church math for you. Perhaps you have heard that those extra six days are a type of temporal tithe. Actually, it's more like a tip than a tithe, because 15% of 40 days is six days, of course. And I'm very sorry, but I cannot completely resolve the mystery here, because the difference of six days is explained in two different ways. In some churches, the six days are because the Sundays in Lent are not considered part of Lent. And in other traditions, the six days are because Holy Week, which is the time between Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, are not considered part of Lent. 
in any case, the practical upshot of this is that if you are giving up something for Lent, technically you can indulge yourself on those six days. And I hope that little tidbit has already made this reflection worth your time. In any case, during Lent we are invited to reflect on our lives, our faith, our understanding of God, our understanding of self, our understanding of community. In other words, Lent is a time of spiritual awakening and spiritual wisdom. Lent is a wake-up call, and the first Sunday in Lent is like an alarm clock going off, inviting us into a spiritual adventure. And so now you know, the alarm clock inviting us into Lent has just gone off. And how will we respond to that alarm? Well, we can use the same four categories as before. We just apply them to how we choose to approach Lent. So what do sleepers do? Well, as before, sleepers just continue to sleep. In terms of Lent, they do not even hear the invitation to a spiritual awakening. Sleepers can go from eating pancakes on Shrove Tuesday to eating chocolate bunnies on Easter Sunday, and perhaps they don't even realize they missed Lent. And what about snoozers? Well, snoozers say, yes, Lent is a great idea. I should pray more. I should meditate more. I'll start that tomorrow, or maybe the next day, but certainly the day after that, or maybe, oh wait, look, it's Easter already. Then we have fallers. Fallers say, yes, Lent is important. They come to an Ash Wednesday service. Maybe they join a Lenten discussion group. They give up chocolate. But it does not last. Fallers start, but give up on daily rituals for Lent. They give up chocolate only for a few days before they hit the chocolate again, using the rationale that giving up something for Lent is just a silly superstition. Fallers begin the journey, but then they fall back into their old ways before they really give themselves a chance to transform their lives. And what do wakers do? Wakers hear the Lenten call. They engage in daily or weekly practices, perhaps going to Lenten groups or daily prayer or intentionally connecting with people. They look for spiritual growth in their own lives. They look for increasing maturity. And generally, they find it. So there is really only one message on the first Sunday in Lent, which is, wake up. And now that we are all awake or too afraid to pretend otherwise, we are all invited into the journey of Lent. And I want to open Lent with a story about journey. Five people were hiking together in a vast forest when they came to realize they were lost. They all wanted to get back to the village where they'd started from, but they really were lost. One of the five decided that they were going to head out to the left because of their intuition. A second person said they were going to go to the right because it just kind of felt that way. A third person said they were going to go back on their original path because they knew the route, so that was a safe option. A fourth person said they were convinced the group was already going in the right direction, so they just kept going straight ahead. And the fifth person, well, they really did not know what the right direction was, so they climbed a tree to look around, and they got a better view. And when they climbed the tree, they saw the village, not really too far off, and they got a really good sense of the simplest path to get there. Well, there's no big surprise in that. We usually expect that when we rise above a situation, we see a big picture and we come up with the best answer, right? Well, sort of and sometimes, but not in this case, because the story does not end there. The fifth person now knew the easiest path back to the village, but they made another decision. 
they also decided they knew the best path back to the village. But let me tell you what actually happened. The first person went left and found their way back to the village. But it was a long and difficult hike. But, you know, along the way, the person saw beautiful scenery, stunning scenery that you would not even get a glimpse of in any other way. And they did make it back to the village. The second person went to the right and had to fight off a pack of animals. But in the process, they learned how to survive in the forest, and they gained a huge sense of accomplishment. And they did make it back to the village. The third person walked back along the known path. They had a very long walk, because the truth was they were already almost back at the village. But by going back, they ran into another group of hikers and made lifelong friends that day. And they did make it back to the village. The fourth person continued straight and ran straight into a small family farm. They stayed as a guest of the family for three days, learning about farming and the joys of rural life. And then they got a ride back to the village. And the fifth person, the one who had climbed the tree, had an easy but very boring walk back to the village. So who took the best path back to the village? Is there a best path? Life is sometimes about being right and wrong, but most of the time, it really is not. More often, life is about gaining our own experiences and finding our own path in the company of others. Each decision we make offers new experiences for us, which give us new opportunities to grow and mature. In school, when we are given a test, we know that everyone in the class is given the same questions, and we know that the teacher knows the right answers. But what if, during a test, each of us were given different question papers, different tests? In life, trust me, we do not all get the same test papers. During life, and even during the journey of Lent, each of us are invited to walk on our own path, while we also learn from the experiences of others. So this Lent, I encourage you to engage in your own journey. And although it is your path, I hope you are surrounded by caring people, who are happy to share their journeys with you. It is your journey, but that does not mean you have to walk alone. So now we've all been invited to wake up to a spiritual adventure, and we've been reminded that each of us has our own personal spiritual journey. And while I agree with those statements, of course, because I just said them, to me they feel just a little bit abstract. I know that some people cringe at the idea of a, quote, spiritual journey in the first place. In any case, I suggest we begin our Latin journey this year with something a bit more concrete. But what kind of journey might we be on? And I want to propose that this year at least, that we view Lent as a season of temptation. Because temptations can be seen as spiritual tools. Because acknowledging what tempts us and recognizing how we feel about the things that tempt us can lead us to better self-understanding. And knowing ourselves is a meaningful step on any journey. I'm encouraging us to acknowledge our temptations, by the way, not necessarily indulge them. Jesus was tempted in the desert. We are often tempted by the desert. But beyond that terrible joke, is there much more to say about temptation? I sure hope so. But let's begin. Let's consider the story where Jesus spent time in the wilderness and was tempted by the devil. In particular, let us listen to see if there is anything in common between the three temptations. 
So here's a version of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when those days were over, he was famished. And the devil said to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered the devil, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led Jesus up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority, for it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered the devil, It is written, Worship the Lord your God, and serve only God. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, God will command the angels concerning you to protect you. On their hands they will bear you up, so that you do not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from Jesus until an opportune time. So, what do you think of those temptations? I mean, the temptations are all different, but I see a common thread that connects them all. I think what is common is that all three of the activities that Jesus is tempted to do are actually really good things. I mean, think about the temptation to turn rocks into bread. Imagine if Jesus had accepted that mission. Jesus could have fed the world. Think of that, a world that does not know hunger. That would be good. Or think of the temptation for Jesus to rule the world. Don't you think that having Jesus as a benevolent dictator might actually be a wonderful idea? Particularly compared to the leaders that are currently running the show. I mean, think of that, a world that does not know iniquity. The third temptation was for Jesus to be a miracle worker. Well, wouldn't that have been a useful gift to the world? The point is, Jesus was tempted by very good things. But Jesus rejected those temptations because his mission lay elsewhere. And what about us? How often have we been tempted by something that was good? And we settled for that, even though we knew we had better things to do. That we could do better than good. For example, how many of us have given up chocolate for Lent? Well, that's good. But maybe we can do better because giving up chocolate for a short period of time will not really change your life or the lives of those around you. What about giving up something more important? The difficulty, of course, will be finding something more important than chocolate. I mean, what is more important than chocolate? I'm glad you asked. Here's a short list of things you might want to consider giving up for Lent this year. Fear of failure, feelings of unworthiness, impatience, trying to make everyone happy, comparing yourself to others, passing the buck, being overcommitted to the point that you accomplish nothing, feelings of entitlement, apathy, hatred, negativity, being a complainer, settling for happiness instead of joy, bitterness, lack of commitment to what is important to you, mediocrity, worrying, idolizing others, being resistant to change, 
pride, holding a small view of God, being envious, being ungrateful, resisting forgiveness. Give up those things, or let's be honest, just one of those things, and you will change your life forever and the lives of those around you. Forget chocolate. Give up something that matters. Today, Lent 2022, I think we also face a new temptation. As our pandemic rules start to ease, many of us are tempted to keep hibernating. We have gotten used to not doing very much for so long. Now, of course, please respect your own personal level of comfort engaging with people. Two years is a long time to live being afraid of contact with strangers, and it will take us time to recover from that. But over time and in your own way, I hope we can all overcome the temptation to stay home, hibernating. And we still have the one single temptation that I have sensed in every congregation I've been a part of since I got into professional ministry. One temptation that I think we absolutely have to resist. And we have to resist it as individuals and as congregations and as a society. Because it is perhaps the biggest temptation of all. It's the temptation to believe that we are too old or too weak or too small or too poor to help be and bring the kingdom of God in the communities where we live, to act as if there is no hope in spite of the presence of God in our midst. The biggest temptation is to believe that we ourselves cannot change. So wake up and welcome to Lent. Amen. Hi again, and thanks for joining in today. I'm Rev. Dr. Paul Shepard, a minister with the United Church of Canada, currently serving at Sydenham Heritage United Church in Brantford, Ontario. I'm also an environmental scientist with a PhD in physics. I'm passionate about making Christianity make sense. Please subscribe to the channel and feel free to visit the church, either in person or online. You might also enjoy my book, Evolving Christianity, which is about taking a scientific, rational approach to Christianity in order to fight racism and other social diseases. I hope you have a great day, and we'll see you next time.